Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, a sticky end against the Toffees for Kepper and Koulibaly, Wow Felix, an FA Cup semi-final and a mixed weekend for the Academy sides. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is straight out of Cobham. We are back with a Monday special. We're just about finished rubbernecking at Antonio Conte's press conference to convene to talk all things Chelsea. It's me, Matt Davis-Adams, joined by two of the Athletics' Chelsea experts, Liam Toomey and Simon Johnson. They're both with us. Good morning, chaps. Oh, you said it at the same time. Now we don't know what to do. Who sits? Yeah. Who goes? Yeah, well, this is it, you see. I thought, I need to keep you on your toes after so many years of doing this. And um, yeah, it's good to know that I can still throw you a curveball. I'm hesitating a bit like the Chelsea defence against an Everton player in the last few minutes. Before we start properly, can I just very quickly congratulate Ellis Sims on winning the Jared Branthwaite Award for totally random Everton hero at Stamford Bridge? Yeah, coming to a uh, a straight out of Cobham quiz near you in 2028 or something, um, I would have thought. So Ellis Sims spoiled Chelsea's winning run then. We're going to start today by winding the clock back to Saturday. For Sims. This is good from Sims. It's great from Sims. Ellis Sims sent up the bench with a jump to do. And he's only got to done it. His first Everton goal in the last minute of the game has made it Chelsea 2, Everton 2. I thought the performance overall was, was positive. We did a lot of things really well. Um, scored a couple of goals, but um, ultimately didn't defend well enough in a couple of actions, which has cost us and um, we're disappointed to drop points. All square between Chelsea and Everton then, after the Blues conceded that late equaliser, having twice led. Liam and I were at the bridge for this one. Liam, you leave the ground thinking, well, that's two point drops, but then does it really matter? Does anything really matter? <laughs> are, we, are, are we just... Are we just killing time on this mortal coil, you know, while the while the world just drifts by? And uh, let, let us abandon that particular <laughs> Simon with his head in his hands. I feel like I might have tipped him over the edge. That's it. I'm off. <laughs> it does matter in the sense that Graham Potter is still very much in a position where he needs to show progress in performances, if not always in results. I mean, it's pretty obvious top four is beyond Chelsea. Do they even want Europa League to be within their reach? I know Simon Johnson's written that that recently for us. Um, but they do need to show improvement in performances. And this was an example, this game I felt, of how you can maybe get a different impression from being in a stadium as to watching on TV with, with Chelsea Twitter as a second screen experience. Because I was getting a lot of negativity and hysteria 
on my, on my Twitter at the final whistle, which is, I, in some ways is understandable given the way the game ended. Um, but about sort of about, about the entire performance, and I and I actually felt right up until Joao Felix um, put Chelsea ahead that it was one of their best performances under Potter in possession, given what they were faced with. They were faced with the exact type of team that Chelsea always struggle against, which is a, a really disciplined, physical, low block that knows what it's doing. You know that's what you're going to get from Sean Dyche when he comes to Stamford Bridge. He's gotten several results that way over the years. And I felt Chelsea stretched and stressed them in all the ways that a big team has to do. Ben Chilwell touched the ball more than anyone else. He he continued his excellent recent form as like the primary outlet. Reese James carried a threat on the other side, even though he still doesn't look 100% yet. And in the middle, between those two, I thought Enzo Fernandez was absolutely excellent, just switching the point of attack constantly. It was a, a ball out to Chilwell that created the first goal. And in front of him, Joao Felix is, is like the other half of the new brain of this team, is how I described it in my match piece. I, I thought Chelsea genuinely looked really good in possession. Um, they have often looked very stagnant in the face of teams like Everton, and they didn't. And then what happened after that was they got diched which I, I think can happen. I, you know, I I didn't agree with what a lot of fans were saying about Potter's game management or, you know, what, what this says more broadly about Potter. I, I didn't have a major problem with the subs. I just felt, I felt what happened in the final act of the game, aside from the mistakes from Koulibaly and Kepa, which I'm sure we'll talk about in more detail, was more about what Everton did than what Chelsea did because they, they used the advantages they had. They were extremely physical they threw a load of height onto the pitch um, and they got the ball forward very very quickly and they they exploited the few mistakes that Chelsea did make in the game Simon from a, from a Chelsea perspective it, this is a bit of a flip reverse wasn't it in, in terms of performances we've seen this season in that Chelsea looked good and a threat and like they could score when they came forward but wobbly at the back which hasn't actually been the case particularly at home before this weekend Chelsea conceded fewer goals at home than anyone else in the Premier League. So it, it felt strange, didn't it, to see kind of, you know, Chelsea looking like they're going to get goals, but after an excellent first half, Koulibaly wobbling and then Kepa with the mistake for the um, the Sims goal too. Yeah, but if you, the goals against record obviously says one thing, but if you remember back to a lot of games where whenever Chelsea have a one goal lead, they do get nervous. You think back to Manchester United, of course, late equaliser, I remember them hanging on against Crystal Palace. I remember Bournemouth, even though they were 2-0 up, sort of having the better of the last half an hour. Leicester City, for example, was another example uh, where, yes, they won 3-1, but Leicester actually had a lot of chances. So it's not that they're awful at the back, but I do think that teams aren't scared of Chelsea. Um, that That's part of the problem of, of this season, is that, that there is no fear factor, there is no respect there. People suspect a, a soft underbelly, and and what happened against Everton will only enhance those those feelings from for other teams as well. The the, the manner of the goals they conceded were, were really poor. As soon as Everton got their first corner, you, you feared the worst, and I think I think um, that that corner just they just about got away with it the first time, and then the second time was the one they actually scored from. I, I'd have to say defending from set pieces all season seems to have been very unconvincing. That's nine set-piece goals conceded this season I, in the Premier League. I was literally about to say, I'm sure there's some stats to show that. And, you know, 
Liam beat me to the punch. I knew what I was thinking. But it, it was a shame because because some of the football you could see how how confidence is growing amongst their more among their more flair players. And all the negativity I, I get it, it's because of the result, but that this season has, has been pretty much a write-off for a while now. So for me, it's all about Real Madrid and, and trying to sort of keep some confidence going into that game. And, and that's the biggest problem with this result is it just, just sets them back a little bit. Liam, in terms of the lineup, I don't think there were, there were too many surprises. The only one perhaps for me was that Christian Pulisic got the nod ahead of Mikhailo Mudrik. Is that more about where, where Mudrik's at in terms of fitness or Potter wanted to have a look at Pulisic and, and how do you feel he did? I think he did okay. Um, I think the the logic was, and it wasn't immediately easy to figure out because we didn't know who the number nine was going to be. Uh, and previously, it was the person other than Felix and Havertz. And this time it was Felix um, who, who started as the nine with, with Pulisic off the left. I think Potter wanted someone, another player who could pick the ball up in between the lines in kind of that left 10 position and dribble in tight spaces. I think Mudrik can do that. He's shown flashes of being able to operate in small spaces as well as over big distances. But I think there's a broader sense with Mudrik that he's not fully acclimatised to English football yet. He's not fully adapted to this team. And it's going to take a little bit of time with him. And there's also the bigger question of whether he fits as cleanly in this system. From Pulisic's perspective, I think it was a great opportunity for him to be in a shop window because I think it's it's pretty clear that he you know a parting of the ways in the summer is the most likely outcome and probably the most desired outcome. But Potter's also already shown that he he's willing to use these guys until then. Um, he's already done it with Ziyech. Now he's doing it with Pulisic. I thought I thought he he dovetailed pretty well with with Felix and and Havertz. I, th- I mean Felix and Havertz I think were more consistently dangerous than him. But he did score that really nice offside goal that will be forgotten in the stats. According to the stats, he didn't have a single shot attempt, but we all saw it. And I I, I did think he had moments of danger, but it, it's just been, it's been a while since we've seen a, a 90 minute or even a 60, 70 minute starting performance where Pulisic is a constant threat. And I don't think we quite got that against Everton. All I'm going to add on, on Mudrick is I, I just think it's another sign that Potter doesn't trust him yet. And particularly against that kind of opposition, the physical, sort of in-your-face kind of team that uh, where you're going to be involved in lots of awkward challenges, I just think it's quite significant that he didn't get a minute of action. Potter doesn't trust him. I, th- I think that is coming out loud and clear. Whether that's the right call or not is open to debate because how is the guy going to build up any kind of confidence if he's if he's only getting the odd minute here and there. So and in terms of substitutions, I, I think um it also I know sort of Loom sort of didn't have a problem with it. And and you could kind of get, for example, Conor Gallagher because of the impact he made at Leicester the week before. But I do also sort of think the nature of them, the fact that none of them were really attacking substitutions, does again highlight sort of what Potter Potter's thinking on the touchline that he's he's more concerned about sort of holding on to something rather than going for the kill, and that unfortunately came back to to bite him. That is that 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 is true. 
to an extent. But how how many coaches in Chelsea's recent history would have brought on attacking subs at, at two one up? This is the the issue I have with like the the idea that um, or the the criticism that Potter had after the game from a lot of people for these negative changes. First of all, I think he would if you asked him, probably take issue with the characterisation of Gallagher for Pulisic as a defensive change, because I think he sees Gallagher as an attacking midfielder. He doesn't play him in the number six positions. He plays him usually in the creative line. Um, and you can take issue with that if you don't think Gallagher's creative or technical enough, but he does bring other things um, further forward. There was one run in particular down the left side of the pitch where he beat three Everton players and he was about fourth favourite to win the ball. And it really got the crowd going. That's the kind of thing Gallagher can give you. It's not just energy, as people dismissively put it sometimes. But for the late subs, I could understand the theory of it. He wanted to bring more height onto the pitch. Because you could see that Everton was subjecting Chelsea to an aerial barrage uh, in the final 10 minutes of that game. That that was their way back in. I know it wasn't the way they ultimately scored, but I completely get why, having already conceded from one set piece, Potter was thinking we're probably going to concede more free kicks and corners at some stage in this in the remainder of this game and I want us to be a little bit better equipped to deal with it and the the other thing is if he had made attacking subs and encouraged the game to get become more open and transitional and then Chelsea concede because they're undermanned at the back he's called naive he's called a naive coach not in keeping with Chelsea's heritage so I do think there's an element of anything he does will be interpreted in the least favourable light if Chelsea don't win because there isn't a lot of trust in his decision-making right now. Yeah, whilst whilst we, we sort of not sing quite from the same song sheet, what I would say is there was a lot of outcry about Wesley Fofana going off and it's come to light that he's now got a hamstring problem. So sort of before you sort of jump on Potter, sort of he doesn't know what he's doing, I think people should always be sort of waiting to hear the full story before they judge what he's doing. Uh, yes, that's Fafana out of the France squad, uh, which is a shame for him. A couple more things before we leave this game against Everton. Um, Simon, I, I put it to you a few weeks ago that if Chelsea go out the Champions League, then maybe they should just put Rhys James in for the surgery that, that he might need mm. if he has this problem with his knee again. I don't think he's looked anything like the Rhys James that, that we know and love since he came back. And, and I wonder if this is now something that, that might actually have to happen sooner or later. Well, you know... I. It's it's a possibility, isn't it? I mean, I I haven't been told anything like that's been lined up, but what I do think should happen is that he's putting cotton wool um, ahead of Real Madrid, um, so perhaps his minutes managed ahead of ahead of that quarter final a little bit. Pick, you know, between I think is it sort of Villa and Liverpool and Wolves. There's three games before that first leg, so I think he needs to be managed very carefully that week. But yeah, as, as far as your general point goes, yeah, it's pretty clear that he's not making those lung-busting runs time and time again down that right flank that much of the play on Saturday actually came down Chilwell's side. But he did win the penalty. So so like there there was that sort of flash of, of the, the attacking force he can be. Um, but I reckon deep down he, he's also th- relishing the prospect of going up against Vinicius next month. Yeah, let's see who comes out on top on that sequel. 
Uh, Chelsea will have to defend better against Real Madrid than they did in this game. Um, but sorry, guys, I'm going to take the L uh, for the concession of the second one, soon as I tweeted at halftime. Some transformation from the start of the season to these last few weeks for Kaladu Koulibaly. Um, yeah, poor from me. That's producer Lucy levels of meddling with stuff that you shouldn't. Um, who was more at fault, Liam? I mean, Enzo gave it away to start with, didn't he? And then Koulibaly was in an awful position and then Kepa should have saved the shot. So nobody covered themselves in much glory. Yeah, I described it in my piece as a, a cascade of disastrous errors. Um, and, you know, that's often the case when you concede a late goal. But I thought it was particularly egregious from Koulibaly, if I'm honest, um, just because the, those were the kinds of traps that he was falling into in the first few months of the season, where he was just being far too aggressive, committing himself to to trying to win the ball where he just couldn't win the ball getting bypassed and getting himself into positions where he was either just beaten all ends up or he had to commit a foul and take a booking. Um, and we thought in recent weeks that he'd gotten away from that. His timing in the challenge looked a lot better. He looked a lot calmer, less erratic in his decision-making. And it was just a really bad regression. You're up against the striker who, you know, with all due respect, obviously he's in a Premier League game for a reason. He's a, he's a talented footballer, but he was recalled from loan at Sunderland at the turn of the year. He hasn't got a single goal in this competition to his name. Just contain him. There's no need to try and make a tackle at all. Just try and shepherd him away from goal. Instead, he, he comes forward. Similar to kind of what Kepa did against Kerry Mediemi, once you get into that little no-man's land, you make up the attacker's mind for them. We're all... The only thing they can do is the thing they should do, which is knock the ball past you and they're free and clear. Of course, once he's through on goal, it's another very bad moment for Kepa where he's got this, you know, reputation among a section of Chelsea fans for having weak wrists and goals like that are not going to do anything to dispel that notion because he he, he just, yeah, he just kind of fumbles it under him, doesn't he? He lets it squirm under him and in. And it's it's a goal that reflects badly on on, on everyone. But on, honestly, I, f- I felt that Curly Bally's mistake was the most costly and, and the most avoidable there. I must admit, because I was watching from home and I saw Matt's tweet drop and I went, oh, he's gone early. <laughs> he's gone too early. But at the same time, I knew why why you wrote that tweet because he has he has been playing a lot better and was having a good game. I mean, that's the frustration. And you could hear the, in the crowd as well, there was a couple of challenges he did and that, you could hear the sort of roars of approval, even from where I was sitting, uh, coming loud off the TV. I, I'm sort of thinking, are there any sort of grounds to defend him? The yellow cards that he got, did that sort of affect him? But that's a reason not to go in. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. But but yes, like I said, I'm trying to think of something to sort of come to his aid. I, I thought it was also a little bit surprising that there was no... There was very limited cover, and um, Badia Shield sort of seemed to be just ball washing a little bit, made no real efforts to sort of come across. You can argue that it would have been too little too late anyway, but there was absolutely no pressure once Koulibaly was beaten. But but yeah, it was it was another poor goal from Chelsea's collection, unfortunately. And it just sucked the the life out of Stamford Bridge. It sure did. Uh, so it was just a point then. Uh, I guess before we move on from uh, the men's senior team, we should give a little mention. We have uh, spoken about the Champions League draw. It couldn't have been any tougher, could it, Liam? Real Madrid in the quarters. And if you get through that, 
Bayern Munich or Manchester City. Uh, I, I dread to think the language that Graham Potter used when he heard the draw, never mind um, before it was made. But I don't know, I guess if, if you're going to win it, you've got to beat the best teams. It, it helps having the second leg at home. I'm clutching at some straws. Have you got any more to pass me? The path of most resistance. I don't have any other... I Napoleon would not call Graham Potter a lucky general, would he? Um, it, every single cup draw has has pretty much been as bad as it as as it possibly could have been. I mean, even Borussia Dortmund were you know on the more dangerous side as as round of sixteen opponents go. And now, to my mind, you have the three strongest teams in the competition in your half of the draw. Real Madrid don't seem to know how to lose <laughs> in this particular competition. Manchester City are long overdue winning a Champions League and it feels like every single year we get to this point and we say they're the best team in Europe and then they find a way not to win it. And Bayern Munich are Bayern Munich. So yeah, it's it's going to be really, really tough. It's not to say they can't. I mean, you know, 2012, Chelsea beat the two best teams in Europe in Barcelona and Bayern to win the trophy, albeit with a, a fair helping of luck. I think they will need a fair helping of luck this time around. I think having the away leg first would be more of an advantage if you had the away goals rule still in place, because then if you can get if you can get a goal or two out um, at the Bernabeu, it can maybe put you in a in a in a much stronger position. It's just going to be difficult. But on the plus side, Chelsea have nothing else to play for, so they can pour all of their physical and emotional energy into preparing these games, and and this is the season now. Hopefully, at the very least. It will make for a great, uh, very entertaining tie against Real Madrid. And the funny thing about this rematch is that last year, oh well, you can argue Chelsea have played eight halves of Champions League football against Real Madrid in the last two years. You could argue they've been the better team in seven of them. But Madrid are just the kings of the key moment. And, and so, you know, it goes without saying that mistakes like the ones we saw against Everton cannot happen. Chelsea have to be close, perfect or close to perfect to have any chance of beating Real Madrid because this is probably the most ruthless winning team in Europe. On the flip side, I don't think Real Madrid will be dancing the streets over this draw either. Yes, Chelsea are nothing like you know what, what they have been, but they will have memories of the semi-final two years ago and the fact that it took essentially a world-class intervention from, from Luka Modric to, to get them out of jail la- last year. So so they'll be sort of worried about Chelsea a little bit, for sure. But I, I just find it quite funny that all these years, Chelsea-Real Madrid managed to avoid each other in the Champions League and now it's three years on the trot. And it gives another another chance for Chelsea fans to, to voice what they think of Thibaut Courtois and also... Uh, of course, Eden Hazard is going to be in the stands with us. He might as well come in the press box. And and we'll get to see what the fans think of uh, Tony Rudiger, um, who, who is also making his return. But um, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I, I, I still have hope that Chelsea will, whether they go through or not, will actually make a real game of this. And certainly more than Liverpool did in the, in the last 16 against Real Madrid. 
Yeah, I share your positivity on this, Simon. I think it's going to be a great tie, but you know that Lucy's feeling seriously negative when she adds something into the dock in all caps. Problem is, they've got nothing to play for either in the Liga after last night's El Clasico defeat. Well, don't worry about it. This is this is Chelsea's year. It's going to be 2012 all over again and 2021. And up against it, underdogs go on to lift the trophy and, and Graham Potter, having not even attended a Champions League game before this season, will end up getting his hands on that big-eared cup come May, probably. Uh, yeah, so we've got that to look forward to next month anyway. No game next week, obviously, because of the international break. The next match for Potter's Pals is against Aston Villa on the 1st of April, and that's a, a tea time kickoff as well. Would you like to become the headline sponsor of the most authoritative Chelsea podcast on the planet? Would you like to be front and centre on Straight Out of Cobham alongside Liam and Simon and Dom and Sam and Matt? Would you like to reach hundreds of thousands of highly engaged blues fans every month? Well, of course you would. Your brand can advertise with us now. Our skilled and charming commercial team are waiting to hear from you. Contact partnerships at theathletic.com. That's partnerships at theathletic.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Very crowded in the middle. Bursting from the bunch is Ritten Kanarud, and what a ball that is. Abdelina, it's a tap-in, it must be, it is. Guru Wrighton, perfect start to the second half. Elsewhere in Chelsea news, the women's team had a comfortable win at Reading to book a place in the FA Cup semi-final. 3-1 victory in Berkshire, inspired by Guru Wright, and she had a hand in all three of the goals, scoring one of them. Uh, Emma Hayes had made six changes to the starting lineup, handed three academy graduates their debut. They were Ashanti Akpan, Keris Brown and Rihanna Blades. Uh, here's what Hayes had to say after the game. Emma, through to the FA Cup semi-final, pleased with the performance? Yeah, absolutely. We made changes, everybody adapted thought we did a, a good job of applying everything we'd asked for him in the training week. I uh, we thought we looked dynamic going forward and adapted to playing a really tough Reading side. Three debuts for your academy players. How pleasing is that for you? Yeah, it's amazing for them and their families. You know, they've been in training with us, so they've been getting used to playing as part of the team, as part of our structure. And they all came in and did a fabulous job. Today was the start of a, another busy couple of weeks, uh, I guess, Attention swiftly turns to Leon on Wednesday night. Yeah, absolutely. We're preparing as best we can for this block, and you know, we've got two days to prepare going into Leon, and you know we'll do that on the training pitch tomorrow. Well, the Blues have won the FA Cup in each of the last two seasons. They'll find out who they face in the semi on Tuesday morning. The draw is made on the BBC One show Morning Live, which I've never heard of, but I can hazard a guess as to what time of day it's on at least. Um, Wednesday sees Chelsea play the first leg of their Champions League quarterfinal away to Lyon. Return at Stamford Bridge on the 30th of March. Similar similar vibes here, Liam, isn't there, to the men's team. You want to kind of make sure you're in a good position going into that second leg. You're facing the team who are the most associated with the Women's Champions League, just like the men are with, with Real Madrid. But you kind of back Emma Hayes to come up with a strategy to make sure that they are well in the tie ahead of that second leg of what's likely to be a sold-out Stamford Bridge. Yeah, Leon very much the 
women's football equivalent of Real Madrid in mentality and achievement in Europe's biggest club competition. So it's 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 a huge challenge. It's also the team that Emma Hayes has been thinking about for longer than any other. I remember being invited into her office a few years ago with a couple of other journalists. It was before, I, I think, a semi-final tie with Leon, which Chelsea obviously ultimately lost. And she was just a woman possessed, moving tactical counters around a board, talking about all the various threats that Chelsea would have to deal with. And it was very entertaining as well as insightful, but it, it showed how much stock she puts in these big, big battles. Um, she wants these to be the benchmark occasions that Chelsea measure themselves against. And of course, the Champions League is is the big one for them. It's the It's the big one they haven't completed yet, so... I'm sure she will leave no energy unexpended um, preparing for this tactically and, and making sure that Chelsea are as physically ready as they can be. And they've got a real chance, you know, when you have as much talent as Chelsea do. It's like Simon said about um, Real Madrid not dancing for joy at drawing Chelsea. I'm sure Leon won't be overjoyed at having to navigate Chelsea either. Yep, it's going to be a fascinating tie. If you want to go to that second leg, by the way, at Stamford Bridge, you need to get your skates on. I had a look this morning and the tickets are nearly sold out. Uh, in terms of the academy sides, the under-21s also suffered a frustrating home draw against Everton. It was 1-1 at Kings Meadow on Friday night. Chelsea pegged back after Mason Burstow had put them ahead. It means they're a point behind leaders Man City in PLT, but they have played two games more than City. Uh, better news though for the under-18s, they thrashed Southampton 5-2 at Cobham, including a brace from Danelle McNeely. Uh, so we've heard about Liam's post-match piece focusing specifically on Joao Felix and Enzo Fernandez. Simon, what have you got in the pipeline this week, please? Um, hopefully a piece on the academy and sort of how uh, the youngsters are sort of feeling about their futures at the club, given the, the the direction the first team are going with signings, etc., being all young players as well on big money. So whether they sort of feel like it's going back to the old days of, of pathway being blocked or whether they're up for the challenge. Interesting. Uh, Liam, what about you? I don't want to get too specific, but uh, I'm also working on a couple of more academy-focused pieces um, over the next week or so. Uh, I've also been deployed to try and write about Castor, the sportswear brand that has come from nowhere to supply the kits for Aston Villa, Wolves um, and teams across across a variety of different sports. And my challenge is to make it less of a dry piece than it sounds when I talk about it. Well, look, I'm I'm buoyed by that news, I've got to be honest, because it means we've got to be getting closer to the long read on how Ellison's cornered the <laughs> football team coach market that I've been calling for all season. Next international break. Great, OK. I'll, I'll, I'll hold you to that. Uh, athletic.com slash Chelsea Pod is the place to go to sign up if you aren't currently a subscriber. We're going to be back on Thursday and we're going to hear from everybody in the Straight Outta Cobham family on that show. We'll tell you why. In our Thursday pod, join us for that if you can. Until then, have a great week. Bye for now. The Athletic.